to the first trial episode of the League of Leaders podcast. My name is Kevin Davis. I serve as your host. Uh, today, I have a special guest with me as I try out this new format um, before we really fully launch into the full podcast. So I decided to do a test interview uh, with my wife, uh, Ruth Davis. Ruth is a native Chicagoan. She is a product of Chicago Public Schools and a proud graduate of Curie High School. Ruth went on to double major in sociology and Spanish at the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana and earned her master's degree in advertising and public relations from DePaul University. I wanted to interview Ruth because I feel she has an awesome story to tell. Her career pivoted from corporate America, including roles at Lush, Carol's Daughter, and Fashion Fair Cosmetics, and transitioned into a full-time makeup artist working for brands such as Laura Mercier, Amazing Cosmetics, and NARS. Some of Ruth's clients include Luster Products, Nike, Chicago Urban League, and American Family Insurance. You can also see her work in Sophisticates Black Hair Styles and Care Magazine, Hair Designer Magazine, The Knot, Chicago, WGN's You and Me This Morning, and the Miss Illinois USA and Miss Illinois Teen USA pageants. In addition to being an amazing makeup artist, she's also a woman of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, and with that, I welcome my first guest, the mother of Ava, the stepmother to Keon and Cameron, and my wife, Ruth Davis. Thank you for allowing me to use you as my test subject here for the League of Leaders podcast. Um, I wanted to, to bring you on the show, discuss your path, share insights for aspiring makeup artists, and hear that one piece of advice you wish you could have received uh, when you were younger. So if you, if you will, please tell us how you got started in the hair care and beauty industry. Well, hello. Good to Hi. be here. Glad you'd be here. Um, so, how I got started in hair and beauty. So, there's a long version and a short version. I'll try to keep it short. Um, basically, I was exposed to the beauty industry my entire life. My mother was a licensed cosmetologist. And my brother works in um, promotions and... What's he do? Trade shows. <laughs> Trade show production. Event management. Event management um, in the hair care industry and has done so for as long as I can remember, pretty much as long as I've been alive. So I've always been exposed to beauty, to hair, makeup, shows, pageantry, all of that. Um, I always thought growing up I was going to be like a lawyer or um, something like that along those lines. And... In college, I just decided that I was a lot more creative than I thought I was, and I wanted to be able to explore that. So while I was working, or while I was attending grad school, I got into the beauty industry by working at a counter. So I worked for Lush Cosmetics, and that was mostly natural products, skincare, and hair care, things like that. And that was kind of my introduction. And so from there, I pivoted into um, more skin and hair care, going to Carol's Daughter, and then into makeup, and it just kind of all came full circle for me, and I ended up becoming a freelance makeup artist. And so as you mentioned, your mother was a hairstylist, and your brother Fred has been in the beauty and um, hair game for a while um, as a trade show producer. How do you think those two, uh, growing up with those two around, how do you think that impacted your, your career choice? I think it impacted me a lot. I feel like um, I 
have been interested in beauty longer than a lot of people that I know kind of in my age bracket just being exposed to it so I started wearing makeup a little earlier like my mom was okay with it being a cosmetologist so kind of those restrictions that you typically have for teenage girls you can't wear makeup you know I was responsible I wasn't out here with a whole face painted like crazy so I've always worn makeup I've always colored my hair you know like so things like that just being in a family that was accepting so like I said earlier it wasn't my path um intentionally but once I circled back around after living life a little bit and ended up on that path it was an okay place for me to go because I had acceptance a lot of people who are freelancers or who work in this industry sometimes their families don't understand because it's a non-traditional career mm -hmm. path so I feel like it was helpful for me to have people in that industry who didn't look at it as are you crazy you went to college what do you mean you want to do makeup like it was I was kind of um, ushered into it, so to speak. And do you think that representation plays a role in this? Um, you know, like myself, I didn't know in a creative space that that was even a job, you know, going into graphic design or marketing uh, for, for black men or women. Do you think that had you been exposed or seen more um, black makeup artists, this may have been a career path you started sooner or? Oh, absolutely. I say all the time, um, if I had known the potential that existed within the beauty industry earlier, I I absolutely would have taken a different path in terms of my education. I think that, you know, I was a teenager in the 90s and we were all told that you had to go to college and a lot of us were first generation. We grew up on a different world and all of that. And so we just wanted to kind of be, be that that bridge for our families and we thought that we needed to be a doctor or a lawyer we didn't know anything else you know i didn't know that i could be a scientist or a cosmetic chemist i didn't know um about the marketing end of the beauty industry i knew that my mother did hair you know that's all i knew i knew that my my brother did trade shows he hired models and um that was cool but i felt like that was way more creative than I even was. I was very book smart. I didn't know that I could take that and I could translate that into something in the beauty industry. Because um, I'm happy being an artist. It's absolutely amazing. But if I had it to do over, I mean, I, I probably would have gotten in at another angle. I probably would have gotten into, I don't know, maybe I would have stuck with science a little bit more. I probably would have been some type of chemist and worked on formulating products. Okay. So I've known you for 12 years um, in November. And in my opinion, you've always been a great makeup artist. And you know, I remember having some discussions when you're looking at leaving corporate America and, and going into makeup. What made you want to move uh, from corporate America and go into makeup artistry full time? So I realized that the bureaucracy of the corporate side of things just was not for me. I'm just not cut for it at all so things like you know the conference calls and the the language that you have to use in emails and circling back and as per my last email and you know all of that like I just I couldn't it just you didn't have time for hard stops I didn't have time for hard stops like I just I don't speak the language I, I don't do well in that environment um 
I was in makeup when I was in a, in a corporate position, like I was a account executive. So I was in the cosmetic industry, but I wasn't really doing makeup. You know, my job was to manage a territory. So I was the person that managed the managers at the counters in the stores in like seven or eight different states. So I'm managing them, but I'm not really doing what they're doing. I don't have my feet on the ground. And that kind of top down, like telling people what to do when you're not there doing it. I've mm -hmm. always kind of had a disdain for that. Mm -hmm. um, it just never sat well with me. I would rather be immersed in it. And it was more gratifying for me to just step out on my own and have my own clients. And I can still work for a brand. That's fine. I have a brand that I work for. I love it. But it's on my terms and my time. I'm a promotional artist or a freelance artist. So I come and go when I can. I'm not committed to bring any work home with me. Mm. I go in, I work, I sell, I educate sometimes depending on what I'm doing, and then I go home. And to me, that sits a lot better with my spirit. And just for everyone listening to validate uh, what Ruth is saying here, you know, like I said, I mentioned, I remember those conversations when uh, you know, Ruth was saying she wanted to make up full time. She was coming home from work and just would just be just tired and, and just burned out. Um, and since then, you know, I've had the pleasure of being on this journey with you and for the about, what five years now, uh, roughly about five years, um, and just seeing the difference in energy and enthusiasm now that she's doing what she, um, you know, has been been called to do. It's, it's a it's a testament. Um, so you often hear people say that the corporate world wasn't meant for them. And sometimes that's a smoke screen. It's just a matter of they haven't done all the things that they can do and they want to run into entrepreneurship, but that's not for everyone. Um, but I can I can say firsthand that this is that was definitely the case with you looking to move from corporate America and doing your own thing. But in making that transition from corporate America, thinking about those early days, what what was hard? What were some of your challenges You know, on, on the more freelance side? So it was challenging really trying to find that balance of stability. Like you want to work, you want to, you know, you want to be productive and active and have a job and work. Um, but you still want to keep that spirit of freedom that made you leave the corporate world in the first place. And so for me, I think happiness really came with finding a good fit in terms of a brand to work for. I worked for several brands and it's not that they were, none of them were horrible. You know, when I started freelancing, I didn't have like really bad experiences, but it was a matter of the fit being just right. Mm -hmm. So I've been with NARS for about five years now. And honestly, the fit is right. It's a brand that I have a lot of respect for. It's a brand that I've always loved. I was a customer before I worked for them. So I love the products. I don't have to pretend to love the products to try mm -hmm. to sell it. Um, when you're selling something that you that you genuinely love and use, it doesn't feel like selling. It feels like talking to your friend and telling them, girl, look what I got and just making a genuine recommendation. So I love the products. That's very clear. So I'm sitting here in this office and we're recording. I'm looking at her side of the room and all I see is NARS makeup and I've <laughs> seen her use it and that she definitely is passionate. About Absolutely. The brand. Yeah, I love it. 
And um, I recommend it to people. I sell it when I don't need to be selling it. You know, when people ask me for recommendations, my friends, and I can be totally honest, I still recommend it. Um, but loving the product, loving the brand, the philosophy, what the brand stands for, and loving the people that I work with. Like, I've, it's, it feels like a family. Like, you know people, you've been around. Um, they give me a lot of flexibility and freedom. They know that I also have private clients and that that is also a priority for me. Mm -hmm. And so it's very flexible. They work around my schedule. So finding that brand that was a good fit for me, it's important as an artist that I work for a brand, but that I also have private clients. I like to do both because working for a brand keeps my, it keeps me in practice. It keeps my skills fresh it keeps me like on the cusp of like what's new, what's coming out, what are the trends. Um, it's like my form of education, but then my private clients, to be perfectly honest, that's the bulk of the income. It pays more. So, yeah. but private clients are not a guarantee. You know, you're not guaranteed that someone's going to get married and book you. You're not guaranteed that a brand is going to need, you know, photos for a campaign and they're going to call you. Nothing is guaranteed. The freelancing with NARS, that's guaranteed. So to offset times where I'm slow on my private side, I'm able to supplement that with NARS. So it's like I said, it was finding a balance and that's what I have learned works for me. Okay. What has been your biggest accomplishment thus far as a makeup artist? Honestly, it sounds so cliche, but um, being a bridal artist specifically is super, super satisfying to me. Mm. I do a lot of different things. I don't just do bridal. I do corporate things. Like I do all kinds of stuff. But having a bride, like this is the most important day in a person's life you know theoretically it should mm -hmm. only happen once and brides are the pickiest customers like they're everything has to be just right um they research everything to death and for some brides this is this is it like they're not constantly hiring a professional makeup artist there are women out there it's you know this day and age there are people who get their makeup done to go to the club on the weekends mm -hmm. but for a lot of people getting your makeup professionally done might be something that you only do once or twice in your life for your wedding, maybe for, you know, a prom and then that's it. So for people like that to reach out to me, to call me, to trust me, to pay my full rate, to not haggle with me, like it's amazing. And it makes me feel super, super accomplished. It makes me feel more accomplished than I would feel doing a celebrity who gets their makeup done on the regular, like mm -hmm. as a part of their job. Like these are people who they got one shot and they chose you. It's interesting. You love wedding clients. And as in my former life as a photographer, I hated <laughs> wedding <laughs> clients for that very reason. They were so picky and that is just mm -hmm. not how, that's not how I wanted to spend my weekends. It was great money, yeah, but that's not how I want to spend it. But I see that that's been something that really um, has, has been successful for you. Um, and thinking back, um, I do see you spend a lot of time looking at different makeup videos and different artists and things like that, constantly learning about the craft and different techniques and different products. Um, I always joke around when I'm talking to some of my friends at work that I know way more about makeup than probably most of them. And that's not something that I chose, but that's just the culture in the household. That's mm -hmm. all we know. Um, 
Who have you studied or trained, trained under over the years? Oh my goodness. So, well, first of all, working for a brand, part of the reason that I said I like working for a brand is that whenever you work for a brand, they educate you. So it's, it's like free makeup school. It's free training. Um, I say this all the time. If people tell me, oh, I'm interested in getting to make, in, into makeup, what should I do? I always say, if you can go work at a makeup counter because every brand has a different way and they're going to train you in their way. So I've been trained in, so like, for example, NARS, getting back to NARS, was created, the founder of NARS, Francois NARS, is one of the most famous makeup artists in the entire world. I've met him a couple of times only in passing, but I feel like I've been trained by Francois NARS because when you go and you work for his brand, you're trained to do makeup the way he would do makeup. So... I really never want to discount the training that I've gotten from working retail. Like it's kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. So like I've worked for Laura Mercier, also one of the most famous makeup artists in the world. So I feel like I've been trained in the style of makeup that Laura Mercier herself would do. So Laura Mercier, Francois Nars, I've read their books, both of them. Um, of course, um, icons like Sam Fine, who I know, who I love, who I will pay money to see anytime that I hear mm -hmm. he's within reach, I will gladly. Um, I have his book. I have his DVD. I've seen him in person do trainings or classes on multiple occasions. Um, who else? Who else have I trained? Derek Rutledge, who is Oprah Winfrey's makeup artist. I've gone to a seminar that he's done. Oh, countless. Ashanta Sharif. She's a wonderful makeup artist out of New York. She does Taraji P. Henson a lot. She used to do male, gloom, uh, male grooming almost exclusively. Like she started working with Puffy back in the day. Like all kinds of artists. Um, who else? And then like not even, um, you know, people in, in New York and LA and winning Emmys, but like people locally who are absolutely amazing. My personal mentor, um, Trafina Johnson, she's based here in Chicago. She's worked on The View. She's worked with recording artists. She's done pageants. I mean, Trafina is awesome. She's, she's a great friend of the family. Awesome. She's yes. amazing. And she's <laughs> local. Like, she's right here in my backyard. You know, like, she's not somebody that I have to, you know, go to New York to take a class or go to LA to take a class. Those stereotypical places that you think you have to go to make the business happen. She's here in Chicago proving that you can make the business happen here locally. But no, I mean, anyone who's anyone in makeup, like I eat it up. I've read the books, been to the seminars, done all that. And you mentioned um, some of your mentors like Trafina. And what comes to mind is, I think it's I think it's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go further, go together. Um, how important is having a mentor being a makeup artist? I think that it's absolutely essential. And I think that there's a lot of young makeup artists out here right now. It's an industry that's really booming. Um, beauty is always going to be a booming industry. Like whenever anything else is suffering, like in terms of the economy, makeup is always doing well. So, so it's a luxury good. Those yeah. are the products that usually it's weather like, the storm. It's, it's, it's attainable. You know, if, if the country's at war or there's famine or we're stuck in the house because of a pandemic, you can still splurge on a lipstick, you know, like it's a little pleasure 
that people always allow themselves. So it's always a booming industry. And right now, more than ever, it's like super, super booming. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of people who want to get into it, who see a lot of potential. And there is room for people, but you can really tell people who've been mentored in the business and people who are really just out here free falling and just trying to make a go of it on their own. You can tell. Um, you can tell the difference in the way in, in the professionalism of an artist, the way an artist carries themselves. Like I was, I was groomed. So I know <laughs> how to like, when I say Trafina Jatan Johnson groomed me, like I know how to respond to a client, how to get every piece of information that I need before I give someone a rate so that I don't lock myself into a rate that's too low. And then someone turns around and says, oh, and by the way, I need this extra look. And by the way, can you stay for this much time longer? Like, I know how to ask all the questions. I know what to charge. I know how to stand firm in what I charge, not be afraid to throw out a number and stand behind it. I know how to be punctual. I understand lighting because of Trafina. I understand, um, I mean, everything. So it's, it's super important and it's a support system. It's someone who can help me when I need help. Someone who can, um, you know, when they need help to have that person then call on you kind of gives you a feeling that you made it. That someone who mentored you thinks that you're on a similar level that they are. So it's, it's amazing. I hear people all the time, like I'm in little, you know, Facebook groups for makeup artistry and stuff like that. And some of the questions that people come in and ask and I'm kind of like, you don't have no mentor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you don't have you don't have nobody in real life that you could have asked that question. And it just makes me realize that I'm very, very fortunate because a lot of people don't. Have you served as a mentor to any any uh, more junior makeup artists or aspiring makeup artists? I have and I do like on an ongoing basis all the time. I'm an open book. I never have any problem sharing information and speaking of mentors i talk a lot about trafina but sam sam fine is actually someone that trafina looks at as a mentor mm -hmm. um and one of the thing that sam says all the time is that there's room out here for everybody you know there's there's enough faces for all of us and he also has this thing that he says he says go and get your no you know, the mo the worst thing anyone can tell you is no. So don't be afraid to go out there and ask whatever question, give them the rate, because the worst they can say is no. So go get it. And um, wait, I just forgot what question I was answering. Have you served as a mentor? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So those, those types of mentalities that, you know, push yourself out there. Don't be afraid to get of rejection. Don't be afraid of you know, having a mentor and reaching out to somebody beyond yourself, it makes me more open to sharing information. Like that whole, there's faces out here for mm -hmm. everybody. It's not a competition. There is literally work for all of us. Mm -hmm. I don't fret. I mean, I kind of turn my nose up a little at the, the budget artists that are, you know, really shortchanging themselves and not, not um, charging what they're worth. But at the end of the day, they're serving a client that... There's a market for everybody. Yeah, there's a yeah. client that wants that and there's an artist that fits that and that's not my client. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely mentor whoever wants to be mentored. I answer questions. I give out information. I'm never afraid to share information. I never see it as a threat um, to myself or to my brand. I feel like we can all 
learn and shine together, there's room for us all. Okay. Here's a here's a question that, that I know could be a, an entire episode by itself, but I'm going to ask you for the, the 30,000 foot view. How has the makeup game changed since you started? Since so you started full time? So much. Um, everything is so much easier and that actually makes it so much harder to be successful. And what I mean by that is when I started, it was challenging to even start to put together a makeup kit, to buy everything that you needed to make that investment, to, you know, make sure you had all the shades of foundation that you need to make sure you had a bag that was sturdy to carry everything like every little thing a light a chair now there are so many people who are makeup artists you just go on amazon and you just get the makeup artist starter kit Mm -hmm. you know you get a chair for free 99 you get a light for you know fifty dollars and the light that i have that i bought was like a four hundred dollar light you can go on amazon and get a ring light for 50 bucks so you can really have all of the trappings of a professional you can really look so you can fake the funk you can fake the funk very easily you can be any any girl with you know a ultimate rewards membership at ulta can just go in there and stunt on points and just buy up the store and just have a full complete beautiful high quality kit i mean even drugstore makeup is very high quality now that's another thing back in the day like you couldn't just be busting out Maybelline and L'Oreal. Like it wasn't the same level of quality. Drugstore makeup is amazing now. So because everyone has access and everyone is a makeup artist, there are so many people out here, again, without mentors mm-hmm. who don't know any better. They don't know the professional side of it. They don't know how to be professional. That's why I really credit the fact that I did go to school, not for makeup, but I went to school, I have degrees, I have a master's degree, I worked in corporate America. I'm a professional, first and foremost. Whereas a lot of these younger artists, they're artists, first and foremost. They love makeup, they mm-hmm. love painting, they love the aesthetic, they love the look. So they like the balance. But yeah, they don't have any balance. They don't understand that this is a business and they think that booked and busy, you know, that's, that's the phrase, I'm booked and busy, but you're not prospering. So you can go out there and you can do five faces and I can do one and we make the same amount of money. You know, you're working hard, but you're not working smart. They're not charging. There are artists that are good that don't know how to charge. We used to say like you get what you pay for, but that's not even true. You can book an artist who's cheap and they might be amazing, but um, they're selling themselves short and they're really causing harm to the industry as a whole because they don't know their worth and they don't know what a, a, a working rate is because they're just, they're not professional. I experienced that a lot in photography. Um, it, you know, in photography, photography dealt with the same thing. You know, when I got my first camera back in 2005 or 2006, my first professional camera, I think I paid $1,600 and fast, right. Plus, you know, I had to get lenses and flashes and mm-hmm. things like that. You know, by look up, by the time you looked up, I had maybe $2,000, $2,500 into my camera. And that camera served me well, made a lot of money with it. Now they out here with iPhones. Yeah, iPhones. <laughs> or even in my own bag now, I bought a replacement camera or a backup camera maybe four years ago, and I paid $500 for it. Mm. And the quality is much greater. 
And so there's that lower, that, that barrier to entry is it's gone. It's, it's lower. Yeah. And so now you can just jump out and say, I'm a photographer with a nice camera and a lens because it's so cheap. So I understand. That's also another reason why I don't really do photography that much because of the, yeah. I call it price whoring, you know, pardon my French, but people just whore out the prices uh, because they're afraid to lose business mm -hmm. and they don't want to say no. And it hurts the seasoned professional that's going to give them a polished product which is the same thing in makeup. Um, so yeah, I definitely understand and that. And that's where you come in with that Sam Fine, go and get your no. I don't mind you telling me no. Yeah. <laughs> like you can tell me no, but I'm going to I'm gonna give you my price and I'm going to stand behind my price because I stand behind my work and my experience. And you can tell me no, and I'm not going to fight you to tell me yes. You can tell me no and go get someone else. That's fine. Because for every, I don't need every, I don't need every client to tell me yes because I'm not depending on one client to make that same amount. Like I said, that other artist is doing three, four, five faces and I'm doing one face at the same rate. So four people can tell me no. If that fifth person tells me yes, we're in the same boat. Yeah. And so you mentioned about the professional professionalism piece and, and that was a question that I had for you. Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with you in, in some regard to helping you develop your brand, you know, at different phases and to elaborate more on that professionalism piece, how much time did you spend developing your prices, your contract, uh, your social media presence, or even a website? Um, and I think that's where you start to see a bit of differentiation between artists and professionals. Mm -hmm. Years, and I'm still doing it. Mm -hmm. it's, it never stops. It's an ongoing process. You have to adapt and you have to change with the times. You can't be content with just being where you are. It used to be that if you were a professional makeup artist, if you had a website, it was like that was the ultimate professional. Like you have a website. Nowadays, the first thing people say, oh, I do makeup. I'm a professional. Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm getting married. What's your Instagram? You know, people want to go see your Instagram. Now, does that mean that I don't have a website? No, because I'm a professional. So I still have a website mm -hmm. because I understand that my business comes from many different directions. I live in the Midwest like this isn't you know, I don't do movies and I'm I have a lot of different types of clients, corporate clients. Um, I've done pageants. So different types of clients want to see your work featured in different types of ways. Some people want to see a website. Um, some people want to see Instagram right now, like modeling agencies. Uh, that's really, really big. Mm -hmm. Like you go to web pages, some of the models that I that I do work with. If you go to their agency's page and they list the different models and information about each of their models, they tell you how many Instagram followers each model has wow. because there are clients that will book the models based on that. Wow. So a lot of times, you know, when I want to shoot an agency girl, you know, they want to see your work, they will go to your Instagram. That might be their preferred thing. But if I'm shooting something corporate, like I did, you know, some work with Nike, they want you to have a website. You know, so you have to have everything. So you have to grow and you have to have everything. There are, there are clients who are going to see me and find me on Facebook. There are clients that are going to find me on Instagram. So learning how to adapt and keep up with the times and kind of go where the business is. Mm -hmm. um, also, let's see what else. So like developing prices, contracts, all of that type of stuff, that super duper ongoing, mm -hmm. like never stops. My first contract might've been like a paragraph or two, 
my contract is like three pages long now and it continuously gets longer every year. So my contract gets longer based on things that you encounter. Yes, yes. Like things are never in your contract until <laughs> it happens to you. So, you know, I never thought a bride would cancel on me on her wedding day. So for the longest, like I'd have a contract that just said, hey, this is, you know, where, when I, where I'm supposed to be, at what time I'm supposed to be there. Um, there was nothing in there about cancellation on her end because what bride would cancel on you until I had a bride cancel on me on the day of her wedding. And I didn't have a clause to say, you don't get this money back. Like I need to be paid in full because I booked you. That was time that you took that could have gone to someone else. Who knew you had to tell a bride you can't cancel on me on the day of and get your money back. So like every time I'm burned, so to speak, um, another clause goes in the contract. And now, thanks to coronavirus, I'm going to ha have to yeah. add a clause in there about refusing service if you appear to be under the weather. You know, if someone seems like they're sick, I have the right to refuse service because there are people who in the past, like you've had, you know, brides that were feeling a little sick and you go ahead and you do the service anyway and you just make sure everything is clean and you use disposables. But, you know, those days are kind of done. Um, contracts, prices, prices are constantly evolving as well. Prices evolved. So this is the thing. Once I learn that I can charge something one time, my rate goes up. <laughs> like got tested out as soon as you know as soon as i hear this person charged this much for a service and i throw it out there and a client bites and goes okay then that's my rate it, it raises every time that i think i can raise it i raise it and it's not about like a cash grab or anything it's really because you do have to compensate yourself for all of the work that you put in, you're buying products, you're replenishing your kit, you're cleaning your kit, you're communicating with clients, especially brides, you're sending emails back and forth, they're sending you pictures and ideas, and this is what my dress looks like. And I mean, you're really communicating with them. Um, you're planning out a schedule, like you're traveling back and forth, it's gas, it's mild, there's so much. So not only do you wanna break even, but we deserve to profit. Mm -hmm. You know, you deserve to be prosperous as well. So if I know that I can charge something, then my rate goes up. So my rate is constantly, um, it's constantly fluctuating based on the market, what other artists are charging and, you know, what I need to survive and then thrive on top of it. That's good information. What is one piece of advice you or thought you'd share with your younger self at the point of starting your makeup artistry business? What is the one thing you, you tell your, your younger self? Ooh, let's see. You know, I think if I had to go back, I would tell myself to not doubt myself so much. I feel like I struggled with that for a long time, beginning my career. And I do still suffer from that, mm -hmm. where I look at my work and it's never good enough. I feel like a lot of artists in various mediums, a lot of artists are that way. I can relate. It's taken me two years to get this podcast off the ground, so yeah. I definitely understand. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, from the time I've started doing makeup, I've always tell, had people tell me, oh, you do a great job. It's wonderful. And... Here's like a little, a little funny fact, like back in the day when I first started, you know, doing makeup full time, 
I would do brides, like I would do all kinds of makeup and I wouldn't take pictures purposely because I didn't like the way the makeup looked. And this wasn't just like, oh, you know, makeup for some little event or someone going to a party. It would be like, you know, brides. And they felt that they looked beautiful. They looked stunning. They looked amazing. And I have very few pictures of my makeup from early on because I would take pictures of it and I hated how it looked. I hated how it photographed. Now, in 2020, I realized it was probably the quality of my camera and lighting, my work probably looked beautiful. It probably looked perfectly fine. But because it didn't look like edited professional mm -hmm. work, I thought it didn't look good. And I just, I wish that my younger makeup artist self knew what real work looks like. Like all of the artists that I admire, that I look up to, who I think, you know, they're rock stars to me. If you saw their work in real life, raw, unedited, it doesn't look, it doesn't look like a magazine cover either. Mm. Like that's what real work looks like. Yeah. And I wish that I would have known that and I could have told myself that and that I would have been more confident and just put myself out there. There were lots of things I wanted to do. I tried to hop on board YouTube like early on before YouTube was as big as it is. And I was like, oh, this is awful. The quality of these videos is awful. The sound is awful. It, I remember those it days. It takes too long to edit. <laughs> I'm yeah. not using the products that I want to use. But then I look at the influencers out there who are like rocking it, who have made full careers doing this. And I go back, like there's one that I follow in particular. I really don't follow a lot of YouTubers. There's really only one I follow, Jackie Ina. Mm -hmm. We love her. Ava loves her. <laughs> um but Jackie, I, I remember watching her in the early days, like 11 years ago when she first started. And now that she's a big deal, I, I've gone back and looked at her old videos and they're horrible. They're absolutely trash. And she knows it. Like mm -hmm. she did a video once, like recreating like the first video she ever did. But the they were trash. But she wasn't doing it because she knew it was going to be a career. She was doing it because she loved it. It was a stress reliever for her. It was something to do. And she grew and she kept doing it and she got bigger. And I kind of wish that maybe I would have stuck with it and not been afraid because my skill set would have grown, the technology would have grown, and I would have gotten there. It's like you say, the time's going to pass anyway. Mm -hmm. So the time would have passed anyway and things would have gotten better. But, you know, I just was too self-conscious about my work. Okay. Well, I have one more question for you here. For those looking to get started as uh, makeup artists, what are your top three tips or pieces of advice you'd share with them? Um, so the first thing, I, like I said earlier, is it has to do with like skills and education, and that's work at a counter. If you can, even if it is part-time, work at a counter because that's your education. The brand will train you. You will have access to products and you will have access to, access to faces so that you can practice and you will get paid for it. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Um, in terms of like costs and um, building a kit and profiting in general, just treating it as a business, I would say, you know, don't try to buy everything at once. Don't buy everything that's trendy. Um, 
talk to artists, find out what they carry. And you'll see a lot of us, I mean, I have makeup because I love makeup, but my kit, my actual kit that I carry around is very minimal. So find out like, what are some of the things that I can do to have like a very condensed kit? What are the necessities? Get the things you need. Don't just be trying to buy everything that just came out. No one cares. Um, and, you know, make sure that you're charging a rate that's going to offset what you're spending. Right. You know, make sure that whatever you're spending, you charge enough to make that, put that back, put some money back into your business and then actually make some profit. Um, and then I would say balance your time, you know, find find a way like for me, that balance was freelancing. So that I have personal time, I have family time, I have, you know, I can kind of work on my schedule. So find out what that is for you. If you still have a full-time job and you want to do makeup on the side, then make sure that you really find a way to balance that so that mm -hmm. you have a life. Because if you're working Monday through Friday and then you're doing makeup on weekends, you know, make sure that you have time for your life to decompress. And that goes back into cost. A lot of people who do makeup on the side charge less because they feel like, well, I'm just doing this as like a side yeah. hustle. Mm -hmm. So I'm charging less. No, you should charge more because you can afford to charge more. If you have a full time job that's keeping you afloat and you're doing something extra, you're taking away your personal time. You only have so many weekends. How many weeks are there in a year? 52. You have 52 weekends a year. And if you're giving them up, that's time you're taking away from your family from your life, from sitting on the couch, scratching your butt, doing whatever you want to do. And people have to compensate you for that time. That time is more valuable to you than it is to me who doesn't have a full-time job. So when you, when you mention the time on a weekend, especially for those that work uh, full-time jobs and have this as a part-time, uh, you know, or freelance um, venture, something that I think we often forget, and this is something that I had to learn, and I remember you going through it as well, is when do you have time to do the business of the business? Mm -hmm. Which means looking at your invoices, sending invoices out, customer service, following up with your clients and prospective clients, um, learning, shopping for different supplies and things like that, um, filing your taxes, doing all of those different things. That should also be um, a priority because otherwise you'll find yourself really pinched for time because you didn't plan properly. And especially if you're lowballing, you're doing mm -hmm. all of this for very little money mm -hmm. and you could have spent four hours on Sunday preparing or doing the business of the business. Um, so I think that's something that, that that's often overlooked for a lot of startups and, and freelancers. Well, that's it. Ruth, um, that was relatively quick and painless. Uh, thank you for serving as my test subject here for the League of Leaders podcast. Uh, if people are looking to find out more about you, find your work, how should they reach out or connect with you? Um, I like to keep it real clear and real simple. Everything is Ruth Davis Beauty. So my Facebook business page is Ruth Davis Beauty. My website is RuthDavisBeauty.com. My Instagram is Ruth Davis Beauty. Um, my email is Ruth at RuthDavisBeauty.com. Clear, consistent branding. I'm Absolutely. A fan for it. Well, thanks everyone for checking us out today. Stay tuned for more League of Leaders podcast episodes at leagueofleaders.org.